Welcome to the Live Theatre UK podcast, episode number 24, a discussion about everything theatre, musicals, plays, all sorts of things from a West End, from a UK perspective in today's episode. Big shows booked in for early 2017. The top three long-running shows in London, Lazarus, They Say We Say, we're going to be discussing The Pacifist's Guide to the War on Cancer. Also, we'll be discussing Dead Funny, State Fair and Concert, top three shows to look out for, and, of course, we'll be finishing off with our secret song. Let's get started. Stephen Collins. Hello, Mr. John Collins. How are you? Very well. Like a little bit of uh, It always just perks you up, doesn't it? Indeed. Um, We're starting off this uh, episode number 24 with uh, a discussion about the big shows booked in for early 2017. Well, there's so many, aren't there? Well, I don't know. You tell me. Last year at this time, (laughs) we didn't have this number of potentially big hitter productions lined mm. up for the first part of this year. Mm. We had some big shows, but we didn't have a list like this. So next year... Do you know what? I was in the tube the other day and I was stunned to think that um, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory is still running. <laughs> Why? I don't know, because when I went to see it, not long into its run, it was not very full. Mm. And it's such a massive theatre and they obviously... Why would they want to keep it open? I don't understand. I don't think they've been keeping it open for the sake of keeping it open. I think people have been going. And I don't think they've been keeping it open for the sake of losing money. No one does that. <laughs> no, some people do. That, but for a little while, though. Done that. For a little um, while. Yeah, but it's been a big hit and kids have gone. Really? And audiences have returned. Yeah, and I suppose the holiday season... Anyway, moving right along. I suppose it depends when you went to see it, but I really mm. enjoyed Charlie and the Taco Factory. And I, I didn't. I know you didn't, mm. but I did. And I can understand why it's still playing. I guess if you didn't enjoy it, you wouldn't understand why it's still playing. No. That's fair enough. And <sighs> next year, when these plays that we're about to talk about are on, it won't be playing because they're closing next year. Yeah. Anyway, the things lined up uh, for early next year include... Entice Me. Death Takes a Holiday, which is a brand new oh, musical. Yes, very interesting yes. one. I spoke to Maury Eston. Have a look on the website. Really nice guy. Very talented. And Death Takes a Holiday is a lovely musical. It's never been done here before, so mm. really looking forward to that. It's going to be at Charing Cross Theatre, directed by Tom Sutherland. So mm. with you the pedigree of um, Titanic and, and Titan. Ragtime, uh, he's hoping for three in a row. What, I'm asking, what I was going to ask and when I interrupted then was, do you think that, that Death Takes a Holiday has the ability to be like the trifecta for those two? Because those two stood on their own and... and uh... I, I think it's a great show. Okay. Um, but we'll see. It's, yeah. a, it's, it's not an easy show, no. but it's a great show. Yeah. Um, and I didn't see it on Broadway, but I've, I've heard the recording mm. and uh, I like the music a lot. Mm. So a lot would have been on the cast, but I think, I think it's safe to say there's a pretty fair chance that it will be... Um, three in a row. Uh, Glass Menagerie. This is a production that John Tiffany did on Broadway a couple of years ago that had Zachary Quinto in it. He's not in this production coming to London, but Cherry Jones and Brian J. Smith, who were in the original production, are both in this production. And Cherry Jones, both of them were amazing, but Cherry Jones plays the mother in that production beautifully. 
Where are they doing really this? really extraordinary production. I don't know what... I can't remember what theatre it's mm-hmm. at, um, but it's coming into town next year. Lovely. Um, and then Travesties is transferring from the Chocolate Factory, uh, where it will finish... Uh, where it probably has finished now, to make way for She Loves Me. Uh, and it's coming next year as well, and that's just wonderful. I'm really glad that's transferring. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't get a chance production. to see it. I'll, I'll look forward to seeing that when it transfers. At the newly named The Other Palace, which it will be by then. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know whether that's The Other Palace as in Buckingham Palace or The Other Palace as in the Victoria Palace, but it's an other palace. I, I don't know why you'd want to call I mean, a theatre The Other palace, palace. do you need? I don't know. There's the Palace the Palace. Well, there's the Palace Palace... Yes, and then there's the palace. It's the palace with the chalice, with the brew that is true. <laughs> anyway, the chalice with the palace has the brew that is true. Uh-huh. Um, the Wild Party, the Michael John Lachusa. Which has never been to London. Which has never been to London, yeah. as far as I know. It's coming to the other palace mm-hmm. next year. Uh, Hamlet at the Almeida with Andrew Scott playing the lead role. Uh, and I think that will be probably a very stellar performance mm-hmm. directed by Robert E. Stella! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, different thing. Okay. Um, then Gary Barlow's new musical based on Calendar Girls called The Girls. That's opening next year in February. I think that sounds very rude. Well, you hope it's going to be rude. <laughs> then Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. Mm-hmm. Is it The Old Vic with Daniel Radcliffe and Joshua Maguire? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf or otherwise known as Who's Afraid of Imelda Staunton, uh, starring Conrad Hill and Imelda Staunton. What that was, should be amazing. What was that play that I saw in where she scared me because she was so frenetic? And it was she was playing a... Good people. Good people. Mm. Oh, my Lord. Yeah, she was wonderful. When you think of that performance and what she might do with... I know they're very different, but the energy that she... Mm. Well, she's phenomenally energised on stage. Mm. She's amazing. Um, and then Don Juan in Soho, starring David Tennant. Uh, has just been announced is on sale a couple of weeks now mm-hmm. um, The Life which is a Cy Coleman musical uh, mm. is coming uh, to the Southwark Playhouse am I right in saying Blackwell. it's not often done I, I've never seen it yeah. no, so I'm looking forward to seeing it I've well that's saying something because I've you know, never, oh. never seen it um, An American in Paris uh, is coming to the West End and The Goat, or Who is Sylvia, starring um, Damien Lewis, is also coming. Mm-hmm. And then there's 42nd Street, and they've announced that Sheena Easton is playing the Dorothy Brock character in 42nd you, you Street. You look incredulous. Well, I'm surprised, certainly. I don't know. I would have thought Dorothy Brock is one of those fabulous old hoofer characters for a fabulous old hoofer. Well, Not necessarily. Eyes only. <laughs> <laughs> I love that song. Well, that's okay, but that I'm not sure. I don't know. I just think well, maybe she'll be wonderful. Maybe she'll be fantastic. Maybe they can work in Morning Train. But My baby takes. I need to have whatever you've been having because you are on a roll today. Anyway, all those big shows in the first three months of next year. Wow. That's pretty amazing. What are the top three long-running shows in London, in your not-so-humble opinion? My opinion's very humble, thank mm-hmm. you very much. And one of them is based upon your opinion, as you recently saw The Lion King and were blown away by it. Yeah. Why were you blown away? What did you? What blew you away the most? Um, How long is it since you've seen it? Actually, that's an interesting question, because it's a few years, and I remember lining up to get... Um, I was walking past the Lyceum on a Sunday, and 
And uh, I said, why don't we just see if we can get a couple of tickets, you know, in the returns and ended up with great seats. And I, that, look, that could be 10 years ago. It might be five years ago. So it's a while. And all I remember is it had a really good, you know, I, what, I enjoy, really enjoyed it, but I just remember it had those big set numbers, you know, the set pieces that you just go, wow, which is, happened in the beginning of the first act and the beginning of the second act and everything else in between was pretty good. This time, um, I was, you know, I came to it thinking, well, I'm going to enjoy this, you know, it'll be four or five stars, whatever. But I was blown away by the fact that, you know, you have a big theatre full of people and everyone's enjoying it. Mm. Everyone's having a wild time. People applauded halfway through the opening routine, which is all of the animals heading up to the stage. (laughs) I mean... It's pure theatre. It's pure emotional response. It's pure enjoyment. Uh, it's good music. And the score is fantastic. It is a great score. Yeah, Great score. I'm a big fan of Tim Rice. Uh, and Elton John did a great job. And the only thing for me was that Scar was not quite nasty enough. But mm-hmm. hey, he, he was great, you know. Um, it's, Scar's a very hard role to play. It is. Mm-hmm. And he did a good job. I can't remember the actor. I don't have... Last time I saw it a few years ago on Broadway, it was played by an actor called Patrick Brown, who was exceptional. Well, that's the really thing. Really exceptional. I think when you think of that role, perhaps um, what comes to mind is, you know, a film version or, what you know, the, the ultimate one that you saw mm-hmm. or the first one you saw. And it's hard with that sort of role to... Uh, to compete with those sort of memories, isn't it? Mm. Mm. But they do compete. People come along. Like Patrick Brown was easily the best guy I'd ever seen in Lion King, and I've seen a few productions of it. And you know what? That show continues to be one of the top-grossing shows mm. on and the West End after how many yeah. years? Yeah. And it's a big. It's a big. You know, place, uh, shows like Les Mis have been downsized and are now living in smaller theatres. And still doing great guns, so it's it's not to take away from them. But this is a big hall. Yeah, yes, it's not a, it's not a small venue. <laughs> and at there, all. Were, yeah, and, and I was sitting there in the dress circle, and the upper dress circle was full. Great, uh, incredible. Well, anyway, that's one yeah, of our top three shows. I, I'm, I'm not a big fan of it, but I I do like it. Mm. Um, and I do think there's a lot of problems with the way Scar is played. If it's not played right, it can really skew the whole thing badly. Yeah. But if it is played right, it's it's great. Anyway, so I think our three top long-running shows at the moment are Lion King, Fan of the Opera, which has um, got a good, really good cast at the moment, mm-hmm. and uh, Les Miserables, which has just mm-hmm. had a refresh of cast, so there's all that energy when a new cast comes in. Uh, if you're interested in uh, seeing Nadim uh, Naman's interview that I did a little while back when he released his album on the website, it's worth watching. Because he's, he's still he's, playing Rao, isn't he? He is. He's yeah. just signed on again, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Talented boy. Yeah. Nice guy. Good actor. Good singer. Mm -hmm. Look up here, I'm in heaven. I've got scars that can't be seen. I've got drama can't be stolen. Now, I don't know anything about this except that it's on at the um, King's Cross Theatre. That's right, it is. Mm. And I've seen it, and I'm not sure I know anything about it either. (laughs) (laughs) Wait a minute, you've you've seen it. (laughs) It is one of those things that you go to and you spend a lot of the time going, 
Mm, what? what? <laughs> no, I think if I was what? there, I'd be saying, how, how long before we get to go to the bar? Well, maybe. But the thing is, the music is so good and it's so well sung. And everything that you look at is really cool to look at. It's only when you try and put it all together and go bibbidi bobbidi boo oh, okay. that you have the problem. So, so is this a, I think what I said in my review was, just don't try to do that. Just let it happen to you and enjoy it and so think about it later. Is don't this think a about performance it piece? It. It's, it's a story of sorts. Oh, okay. Um, so do you know the film The Man Who Fell to Earth no. that David Bowie was in? Well, anyway, well, it's a kind of a sequel to that. So uh, there's an alien character in human form or an alien character that looks like a human or whoever Thomas Newton is, mm -hmm. who is the character from The Man Who Fell to Earth. Um, and he wants to go home, basically. E.T. want to go home. And all these bizarre things happen. People get murdered. People have blue wigs on. Milk spills from fridges. Mm. Rockets come and go. Um, all these things happen while you listen to the music that Bowie wrote. Mm. Now, he must have known or probably knew that he was in the terminal stages of cancer when he was doing all this. And he, doesn't, he didn't let on to the production team about his illness. And so it's kind of his signing off card, basically. And when you look at it that way, when you've come away from the theatre and you've listened to the music, and I can't underestimate how well sung it is. It's really well sung. Mm. And so you really feel like you're at a rock concert a lot of the time, mm. but you're not at a rock concert, you're at a, you're at a play. And you do feel like you're moving along with the characters and you have emotional responses to what happens, but you couldn't stop at any particular time. Well, I couldn't anyway. It couldn't have... At 25 minutes in, they couldn't have come down, put a gun to my head and said, what is this about and what do you think is going to happen and next? Because I would have just said, I just have sure. no idea. Mm. No, I have no idea. Not right. that I'm not sure. I have no idea. This is... Wow. It's a total engrossing experience. So they're using the theatrical process and the theatrical norms to do a sort of uh, artistic installation? Sort of. I don't think there's anything normal about anything Ivo Van Hove does, and he's directed this. Mm -hmm. So, But it does look like an Ivo Van Hove production in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And there are incredible projections, video projections, and there are weird things, and use of colour is interesting, and the, the orchestra are behind in a kind of a scrim, but like a perspex box at the back of the stage. Um, there are some quite grisly murders... Why they happen, I'm not sure. <laughs> but it's partly it's about love having to be conquered before you can let go, um, I think, is one of the themes. But I think it doesn't matter in a way. And I don't often say this about theatrical experiences. I like them to have beginnings, middles and ends and to be understandable. But this is not that thing at all. This is something which is wholly about the music. And the tapestry of events that occur around it are like a cushion, a cocoon for the music and give you a point of view and a perspective to consider the music in. You don't have to adopt it. You don't have to take it anywhere. Mm. You can make your own decisions about what's going on, and that's part of the beauty of it, I think, mm. is that they're telling whatever story they want to tell. Whether you get that or not doesn't matter mm. because there's the music. Well, that sounds interesting. It is interesting. It really is interesting. I mean, the crowd went wild the night I went, completely wild at the end. Well, you know, theatre um, amongst lots amongst other 
purposes is to provoke thought and mm. emotional responses. So mm. it sounds like these people were stimulated. Yeah, I think so. And I think also there were a lot of David Bowie lovers who were just excited to hear his music. Yeah. And of course there were Dexter lovers who were there to see Michael C. Hall who played mm. Dexter mm. and who was a phenomenal singer. And really, you know, it's sad but true that these people sing Bowie's music better than Bowie ever did. <laughs> um, and that's sad. But, mm. you know, Bowie is remarkable, was remarkable, mm. an extreme force of nature, a real talent. And, and when you listen great, to his recordings... He's a great recording artist. Yeah, but he's they're a, about not him. a great singer. But they're about him. That's right, he's a great recording and artist. And a great live artist too. Yeah. Not yeah. necessarily the two go hand in hand, but he was, he was both. Yeah. But he's not a great singer. No. But these people really do know how to sing. Mm. And they brought over some of the cast from America. So Michael Esper is it's very happening good. It's happening a lot, isn't it? Yeah. You know, the, 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 much more than it did, say, 10, 20 years ago. Yeah, well, I, I'm the Don Mars over there in New York now, playing mm. La Liaison Dangereuse with um, Janet McTeer. So there's, there's much more cross-pollination across the pond than there ever used to be. And John I, Lithgow is playing... Oh, Churchill. Churchill in, in, the, in Crown. Cra- the Crown. Yeah. Nothing I, to do I, with what we're talking about. No, no, no. I, <laughs> I, I, binged, I binged three episodes. But Church. when you've got an American like John Lithgow playing Churchill, Churchill mm. something's no, he's going great, on. Though, isn't he? Yeah, he's very good. He's a bit tall, but he's, he's, he's very great. good. I think he's great. And I, th- I think his, his performance was perfectly uh, done insofar as he didn't take it as far as a caricature as Churchill You're does You're only up to episode three. Yes. Yeah, well, we can have that conversation when you've regressed beyond okay. there. Anyway, back to... But anyway, yeah. yes. uh, he, John Lithgow does not appear You know how I like Lazarus. having multiple conversations at once. <laughs> John Lithgow doesn't appear in Lazarus. No. No. Neither does uh, David Bowie. No, neither. But his music does. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, I'm not really sure whether you can say he doesn't appear in it. Anyway, mm. there is a rocket. You'd like the rocket at the end. And I think the overwhelming truism is that you shouldn't cry over spilt milk because there's a lot of milk spilled. How and why? You have to go and see for yourself. <laughs> Should we listen to another track from it? Let's do that. And see what you do with milk. Something like tobacco road Living on a lonely road I will pull you out of there You will go to Finchley Fair Interesting to listen to that. That's Michael Esper, who's in this production. It's yeah. very, very good. Very good. very good. But what's interesting is, as good as that um, voice and recording is, and production, you can hear what David Bowie would do with it. Yeah, you can. You can hear that. Yeah. And yet, that's a really good performance. It's mm. interesting, isn't it? Yeah. How some people are able to imprint. Um, well, to bring out the style mm. of him. Mm. And the cast also has Sophia Ann Caruso, who's just amazing, absolutely amazing as the girl in it. And Amy Lennox, who I love. She's a great performer, really good value. She was in Kinky Boots and now she's this. She couldn't get two things more unalike <laughs> than Kinky Boots. And <laughs> what did she play in Kinky Boots? She was the girlfriend. Um, oh, yeah. Fabulously ditzy blonde. Yep. Hilarious. She was great. And Jamie Moscato is also very good in, in uh, Lazarus. 
Uh, and, you know, the space, the King's Cross Theatre, the pop-up space they built for it, is really good. It's quite different from the one where The Tempest is playing, and it's a really steep, raked auditorium. must fit a lot of seats in. Mm. Um, it's quite a complex You don't need to sit there, close to, to Lazarus to get the full benefit of it. But I imagine if you sit close, it would be pretty overwhelming and in your face. But anyway, highly recommended, very enjoyable, and very uh, unique. Mm. And now we move to our They Say, We Say segment. Yes where we're going to discuss. This week it's the National Theatre's production of The Pacifist Guide to the War on Cancer. To which Michael Billington says, A musical about cancer? I see no reason why not. For much of its length, this show co-presented with Complicite Associates and written by Bryony Kimmings and Brian Lobel, with a score by Tom Puckinson, offers a robust demystification of its subject only in its later stages does it turn from a piece of theatre into a dubious form of group therapy but as the show proceeded my reservations started to mount it increasingly seems to be battering at an open door far from being reticent in the speaking about illness or death I would say we have never been more open about it I am at an age when any social occasion is prefaced by what a friend calls the organ recital. (laughs) And when I was diagnosed with a kidney tumour three years ago, I saw no need to hide the fact. Although I welcome the show's candour about cancer, it also lapses at the end into an extraordinary form of self-display as cast and audience are invited to shout aloud the names of patients they know. What? Mm -hmm. I felt I was attending a secular revivalist meeting. (laughs) How many stars did he give it? He gave it three stars. But when you read that, does it feel like he's going to give it three stars? No. Mm, It's interesting, that, isn't it? Look, I hated this. Really did not like it at all. With a capital H? With a capital H, Mm. yeah. First of all, I mean, I agree with him. There's no problem with having a musical about cancer. That's great. We should have musicals about cancer. Why not? And if it hasn't been done, give it a go. Be in your face can be quite disturbing. Absolutely, there's no reason at all. No. If you can have musicals about about mental illness, like um, Next to Normal... Yeah. There's no reason why you can't have a musical about cancer. Uh, in any event, uh, this is not a musical, though. It's no form of musical. It might be a play with a bit of music, but it's not a musical. Mm. The music is not intrinsic to anything. It doesn't give you the backbone of what goes on. Does it's it, a very does it strange halt piece. the show? Does it... Oh, oh God. My, <laughs> for me, it holds <laughs> nearly everything. Oh, all right. Well, see, that's, that's, um, that's, that's rule number one. Because the music is terrible. Oh, okay. It's just terrible music. And it's not well performed either. Very few of them can actually sing. Complicite have a very good reputation. What are they doing? I don't think they had very much to do with this by the look of it. Mm. Um, I don't know what their involvement was, but certainly I've never seen a Complicite show that was anything like as poorly conceived as this one. Mm. Well, Fiona Mountford said, Tom Parkinson's music is unmemorable and is all but jettisoned after the interval in favour of a wearying number of pre-recorded voiceovers from Kimmings herself to her actors. What do you mean, like a... Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Speaking. Speaking voice. Yeah. What would have been preferable is a far greater level of insight into the real, awkward, individual lives behind the headline diagnosis. Yeah, well, you can imagine. A, a, you know, This piece is about a number of patients who are facing various cancer moments in their lives. Mm. 
cue any number of great songs that you could have mm. reflecting upon what their life was like before they got diagnosed reflecting on what it was like to be diagnosed how they felt the humour that comes in the situation the yeah. people who've done chemo together who bond together all of that there's so many ways in which I can even see a kick line make yeah of course <laughs> well, they have a kick line of cancer cells okay. <laughs> so you know you can have all of those things but it has to the music has to work and it mm. has to have a rationale and a purpose purpose and it didn't didn't hear, and it wasn't interesting enough. And I just kept thinking, what is this doing at the National Theatre? Why is this good enough to be on the National Theatre stage? Because they like to champion things, but you've got to be careful. Well, that, that's fine. Champion away. But somewhere along the line, it has to reach a level, a standard that's sufficiently good to make it worthwhile to put yeah. it on stage. Because yeah. otherwise you're saying... We'll put anything we like here. It doesn't matter it how crap it is, you'll yep. like it or not. And that's not the message from the National Theatre. Steve Hogarty uh, from... What did Fiona Mount forgive it? She gave it two, I think. Did she give it two or uh, three? Let me see. I'm just checking right this moment. She gave it... Oh, no. Sorry. I was just trying to remember because um, she gave two to Ragtime. And I had in my mind she'd given three to this one. Which, two. it's two, is it? Two. Right. So she 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 hated ragtime and needed to have Nurofen to recover from it. Oh, um, that's what she said in her review. <laughs> I um, remember you telling but, me. But um, she's having a bad time. But this one, yeah. Well, I mean, I think two is very generous. Steve Hogarty um, said, "A musical in which colourful cancer cells fart about on stage like, sorry, fart about on stage like rejected Saturday morning cartoon characters." A pacifist's guide to the war on cancer is an unexpectedly jazzy and frenetic show. It dissects and digests the bleak world of terminal illness with a song and dance as tumours slowly emerge from the stage walls and ceiling inflating over the course of the two-hour performance. A pacifist's guide deserves credit for being so freely silly in its approach to telling stories of real cancer experiences, but it's a long and messy show that ultimately circles back around the unavoidable grief of the whole thing. Around to the unavoidable grief of the whole Sorry. thing. Sorry. Yeah. I'm not... And what did he give it? He gave it... Um, two. Two. I'm yeah. not sure what he meant by all that, but anyway. Well, I think he was trying to find nice things to say about a show that mm. it's pretty difficult to say anything nice about. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it got other reviews which were four stars. Um, so it had a reasonably good reception mm. from the critics. And yet, on any rational basis... I mean, look, lots of people left at Interval the night I went to. Really? It. Scores of them. Shaking their heads in disbelief. You don't expect that at the National League. No, of course, you don't also expect the cutesies kind of gimmicky things. So the program at the National was like a patient folder. Mm. It's the kind of thing you might get from some sort of experimental theatre somewhere making the, you feel involved. That want you to talk about it as you go home because yeah. they need the promotion. But it's not, it's, not the, it's not what you expect from a musical at the National. No. Um, I'm all for them having experimental forms and doing things, but they must get to a certain level where people go, yes, that's okay. Uh, look, the lead woman here, she gave, she worked hard. There's no question about that. But she couldn't sing, and she wasn't able to get us involved in the journey of the character. Mm. Well, so you need to have a level of performance skill yep. which will overcome the inadequacies in the material if you've decided to give something a go because it's a workshop or experimental. Somehow the standard has to be made which makes it worthwhile. These aren't cheap tickets either. You know, they're at least 30 quid. Yeah. So... 
it's not like it's in an experimental space and you come along and play 15 quid and see what happens and go, you know, that wasn't bad. Why don't you do this, this and that? No, no, no. This is part of the National Theatre subscription season mm. and it's a dreadful, awful piece of work. <laughs> but that's not to say there aren't great intentions behind it and mm. there's not a good idea, but it's just this form. Didn't happen. It totally, totally, totally didn't happen. Something peculiar, something for everyone, a comedy tonight. Something appealing, something appalling, something for everyone, a comedy tonight. Nothing with kings, nothing with crowns. Bring on the lovers, liars and clowns. Old situations, new complications. Nothing portentous or polite. Tragedy tomorrow, comedy tonight. What a lovely recording. And that was Frankie Howard. The great Frankie Howard. And I just said to you as we were listening, wouldn't that be wonderful to have seen him play that role? Uh, give anything to have a time machine to go mm. back and watch that cast. Was well, It wasn't just him, of course. It was um, John Perch who was in it as well. And um, Isla Blair, who uh, is still performing and doing wonderful things. And Kenneth Connor, a wonderfully deadpan performer. And Robertson Hare. It was a great cast, really great So cast. nice to hear, um, you know, the old soundtrack where the full mm. complement of the players is yeah, there. The and, just... and everything is just... But it just puts you in the mood to laugh, doesn't it? Totally yeah. puts you in the mood to laugh. And just hearing that little snippet of Frankie Howard, you can totally understand why a group of people who liked comedy would form a society to revere the memory of those people and mm. their careers and be fans of them. Mm. In exactly the same way as people are fans today of Harry Potter or mm. Game of Thrones. But in those days, you could totally understand why people would be the same sort of fan in relation to comedy performers. Mm. And that's the idea which is at the base of Terry Johnson's play, Dead Funny, which is being revived in at the Vaudeville Theatre. And two of the main characters they talk about in the play are Frankie Howard, oh. and the other one is Jack, is uh, not Jack Benny, but Benny Hill. You could have had Jack Benny, because mm-hmm. he was a whole other comedy icon of his own, but in a different country. Um, so Benny Hill and Frankie Howard, Sid James, Morecambe and Wise, Hancock, that's the sort of gang that these people worship. And so it's a tale about basically anoraks and nerds who have this love for the comedy people, oh, okay. set against the tragic, brutal, banal reality of their lives. Yeah. And so it's quite an interesting mix. But it really is a mix, and in order for it to work spectacularly, it has to be a mix. It can't be all about one side or the other. So it can't be all silly, willy, willy, boop, 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 and it can't <laughs> be all, oh, my God, I want to open my veins and die. Yeah. It has to be that medium, and it also has to have that thing where it can switch immediately from one to the other. Fine balance. To shock it? you mm-hmm. and make you think, oh, wow, and get the full frish on out of it. And I think it just needs really great comic acting Mm. to pull it off and when I first saw it the first time it was done also at the vaudeville theatre so it's a bit sort of spooky and Mm. you walk in and there it is again Uh, it was David Hagg and Zoe Wanamaker were the lead lead roles and what I remember overwhelmingly about that production is laughing and laughing 
until I cried. And then at the point where I was crying from laughter, they made me cry for a different reason. And Zoe Wanamaker was absolutely remarkable. Remarkable. And, you know, who would have thought... You, you go to London to see a show and in the first 15 minutes you have David Haig stark naked in front of you and let Zoe Wanamaker stark naked in front of you as they desperately think about what they have to do to have a child. But that's one of the stories here, is that the couple, he's the president of the society who reveres the dead, sorry, the comics, they're not dead at this point, the comics, and she's his wife, she wants a child and she can't have one. He's busy sowing his wild oats elsewhere because he's lost interest in her. Oh dear. He's a gynecologist, so it's all very carry-on doctor in that mm. respect. Um, but serious. You know, but very serious, because the, under, the under, underlying stories are quite tragic. Mm, sounds really interesting. Um, it is, and when the balance is right, it's really good. I just mm. didn't think the balance was right in this production. It's interesting, um, when I saw the play What I Wrote, mm-hmm. I don't remember in my childhood memories, because Morecambe and Wise were a little bit before my time, I don't remember explicitly sitting... I mean, I remember seeing all sorts of variety shows from America and the UK in snippets, but I don't remember Morecambe and Wise. Funnily enough, when they started doing the routines and recreating things, I nudged my friend and said, ''Oh, my God, I remember that.'' Mm. You know, so these, these things that you speak of are in our genetic... Well, I think they are for people of a certain age. (laughs) So, well, anyone older than than 25. That's right. (laughs) Well, anyone younger than 25, though, doesn't know what the hell you're talking talking about. about. But but what I was saying is... It's interesting, when you walk into the Vaudeville Theatre, the lovely usher say to you, welcome to 1992. And you go, right, okay. (laughs) And then you go and sit down and think... What's he talking about? Um, but they want you to think, okay, like it's you know, it's all that time ago. But it actually is a long time ago. Yes. It doesn't seem like it's a long time ago mm. because it's in our lifetime. Mm. And so we just think about it. Now, mm. Benny Hill is still imprinted on pretty much yes. my whole psyche mm. because he was a very important, big name performer. And that's an important genetic component of going to this sort of show yes but it also speaks to how you have to be true to that to recreate it to get the feeling of it in its relevance of the play does that make sense yes yes but equally if you are a child of the 1980s your views about gender sexual exploitation and all the balances are going to be very different from the people who sat in 1960 and watched up Pompeii mm. or all of those programs that they were. Yes, of course. The, the, everything was different. This mm. is well before Jimmy Savile. This is a time where television people were revered and were allowed to do pretty much whatever they wanted mm. on screen and people took it and laughed about it. That's and not this did, world. No, of course. And so how do you do this play now, which revolves around that sort of thing and has it in its DNA? Yeah. You just need to listen to the Benny Hill theme tune and you know sort of exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> it's funny, though, isn't it? It's just intrinsically funny, and it's also intrinsically it's dirty, too. dirty, and it's also intrinsically. Sexist. Yes. All three things happening 
immediately in one piece of music. It's all you need to know. And if you hear that piece of music, wherever you are, you imagine there's some man trying to grope a woman. <laughs> that's what that music evokes. Mm. But of course, in our world, quite rightly, that's not something which is funny. It's not funny anymore. Um, at, well, it never was funny, but we always let it go because that's what was part of the fabric of life. Mm. But the young people in the audience the night I went were quite mystified by what, what we they were, were seeing. Well, there wasn't much laughter the night I went. There was very little laughter because it's... Because, as I say, there are these really traumatic... And the storyline about the wife, Catherine, who... Um, sorry, played by Catherine Parkinson. That's Eleanor, is the, is the character. But Eleanor is desperate to have a baby. And it's a very tragic and terrible story. And she goes through a lot of pain. She's also quite a bitter, icy creature. Were you at a disadvantage for having seen the original production yeah, possibly and yeah. the context maybe but I think it was an advantage because I knew what the context was right i.e. the context of Benny Hill Frankie Howard mm. I knew when they were making the jokes I knew what they were talking about and unlike your experience about the play what I wrote I don't think the young people in the audience had any idea what they were talking mm. about at one moment everybody's alarms went off because they talked about the parrot sketch from um, Monty Python but they don't do the parrot sketch, they just talk about it. Mm. But everybody knew what the parrot sketch was, but they didn't know what the Siri Iriot sketch was yeah. from Benny Hill. Yeah. Because you have to have seen Benny Hill mm. and seen how that became a thing in Benny Hill to, mm. to know what that meant. Otherwise, it just looks like a really poor taste, racist joke. <laughs> and, and a bit silly. Yeah. And so without that context, and without that context being fused into the production in a way that made you understand it... Yep. It was very difficult for it to work. Mm. Um, Catherine Parkinson, I have to say, was just marvellous. A bit too good in some ways. Mm. She was so good at being this tragic figure and showing the pain and the clarity of the pain that she kind of overwhelmed proceedings because the others weren't able to deliver on the comic material because of the lack of contextualisation and the audiences not knowing what was going on. I think this is probably a great hit for people in their 50s and above if they want to go and see it. Um, maybe do well with the matinee crowd but uh, yeah I just I don't know my memory of the original production was that some of the people in the group were very bad at doing their impersonations of the routines mm. and that was funny because if you knew what the routines were you knew they were doing them badly and so you would <laughs> laugh at that now with the distance of time in some cases you can't tell whether they're good or bad <laughs> but they just don't seem right yes. and they don't have enough of the actual people they're talking about in the performances to give you the flavour of it. Sure. So, so if you don't know, if you, you don't know, you of, don't know. Yeah. And if you do know, you're not sure. So, mm. yeah, I really liked Ralph Little. I thought he was very good in a very difficult role, one that doesn't have much to hang on to. But he kind of made something of it that was quite excellent. I think part of the problem here is they're all established TV actors and I think they're in the show because the producers think we'll get some TV fans along to see them Not in Not necessarily shows. because they're perfect. But of or... course, doing television comedy is very different, different. from doing yeah. stage comedy. It requires a whole lot of different skills mm. and different timing, different mm. attitude, different Possibly. everything. And, and depending on their age, I guess they're not necessarily a fave with that period anyway. Well, no, I think they're probably all young, mm. too young. To have actually yeah, for the lived nuance, through it, for and, the real and, yeah. cutting to um, the, and it's not. I don't think it's the same as watching an hour or two of videos to see what they were like. That's not it enough because you've got to have lived in that period and understood the contextualization. All of those of the period. All of those actors 
did the tours and did yeah. the theatre and did the you know it was not just about them peering and being no, funny all, in front of the camera. <coughs> no, they were all very good on stage. Yeah. As Frankie Howard, oh, I'm just choking to death now. <coughs> As Frankie Howard displayed so easily, and a funny thing happened on the way to the forum. But um, yeah, look, it's good that they're doing it. And it was great to see Catherine Parkinson in real life. I thought she was really good. But are they, Steve planning, Pemberton, a long, are they planning a long run, or is I think this it's just a, three months or so? Okay, so maybe they. Just... I think Steve Pemberton and Rufus Jones are okay, but they're not. They're not great, and I think there are better performances from both of them that could have been drawn out of this. Things that weren't safe. And uh, Emily Barrington uh, just seemed to me to be out of her depth, although she's very pretty and very attractive, and she can do a pratfall over the back of a sofa with her knickers akimbo like nobody I've seen. But before I agree with you, I'll just have to think for a moment. You're not going to show me a pratfall. Right? <laughs> I don't I'm want to see it. how many how many people I've seen doing a pratfall in their knickers. Without their knickers. Without without the knickers? I think that sounds very rude. I'm not very happy about You're that. You're racing to buy a ticket now, aren't you? You headed off to Cadogan Hall to see State Fair in concert. I did. Is it fair to say that State Fair is not likely to be done in a major production? Well, I think it should be done in a major production. But it hasn't for a long it time. It hasn't. No, I don't think it's... Well, it's never been done here in a major production in London. It's never had a performance on the West End it's stage. It's a little bit Tom out, Sutherland, out of date, isn't it? Oh, so is Oklahoma. It doesn't stop anybody doing that. <laughs> That's a bit of a masterpiece. <laughs> Well, yes, of course it is. It's a masterpiece, but it's also a bit out of date. You know, yeah. it's kind of like... <clears throat> and State Fair is hokey and homely and, you know, it's about pickles and which boar is the best boar in the state. But it's a love story. Well, it's several love stories. It'll never be a hit. It's a cutesy, folksy American tale. And there are a lot of cutesy, folksy American tales which form the basis of hits, whether they be plays or musicals. Mm. I don't know why it is that State Fair has been neglected, but I think if they got somebody with imagination and a decent vision, it could easily play well. And in mm. fact, Tom Sutherland directed a production of it a couple of years ago, which was really very, very good, and zipped along and covered up all the obvious cracks in the material. If Tom Sutherland continues at the pace at which he is working, <laughs> he will get through every musical ever written in the next couple of years. Well, he might not be aiming for that, but um, he's certainly having I mean, a prolific time. 2016, how many? He's done half a dozen musicals. Yeah, I have to say, there wasn't a lot of Tom Sutherland in this production. Mm. Like, They were just standing on stage. They walked yes. on and they walked off. Yeah. They did sort of give... Some attempt to, and some better than others, to create a sense of character and atmosphere. But if they don't have time, I always say, if you're going to do a concert version, keep it simple. Mm. And so standing there, you know, performing with the orchestra for a lot of the numbers is good enough, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Sometimes In fact, when they... I don't know why they were as, I don't know why he was as fussy as he was, because they had everybody going off all the mm. time, rather than just having them sitting oh, there, them sit there in a row and get up and nice do their rock. bit. I yeah. think that would have been quicker and, and better. They were all in black tie, all look yeah. lovely. Um, but yes, it was a bit 
clunky bit of the staging, <clears throat> but that wasn't. Nobody cared because mm. it wasn't about that. Enjoyable? It was about the music. Mm. And Freddie Tapner and the London Musical Theatre Orchestra were absolutely breathtaking. And that's one of the reasons you go to those concert um, versions. Well, you so rarely get to hear music like this. And what I really liked about this was sometimes you'll get a proms concert where you get a really big orchestra and a huge chorus and you you get the sound of the orchestra, but you never get the feel of what it was like for that orchestra to be playing for singers doing a show. But that feeling of what it was like years ago when, you know, you and I were little people who'd go to the theatre and every theatre who played a musical had a 35-piece orchestra. (laughs) Well, that doesn't happen anymore. Very rarely. But this, this was amazing. And the players were so enthusiastic. Tapner is like watching a little um, Leonard Bernstein. He's so enthusiastic, throws himself into whereas it. He's so committed to the music, though. Whereas at the Royal Albert Hall, sometimes it's sort of... It's a different thing because it's so much larger and so... Well, unless you get David Charles Abel or John Wilson, it can be very much a period piece and a piece of art as opposed to a piece of living, breathing, wonderful yeah. theatre music. But the, the venue is, is too big. What, what mm. you're saying is you felt like you were part of it and you were there and it was coming I could hear you. the texture of the yeah. instruments. I could hear the strings going down to allow the brass to come up. I could mm. hear the interplay between the instruments and the sense of drive coming from mm. Tapner was incredible. Mm. And they never once overshadowed the singers but it was one of those things where the singers were like another part of the orchestra truly part of the musical tapestry it was incredible it was just a joy to listen to now okay not all of the singers had the best voices in the world for the material but it didn't really matter Mm. because they were all working hard and the ones that really mattered were fabulous so you had Celine Schoenmaker as um, Margie who sang It Might As Well Be Spring Yep, just divine her voice was divine she is divine and she was very supple and simple and sweet and it was just a joy to watch her. She had on a very awkward frock. <laughs> she looked fabulous in it, but it was an awkward frock because of its dimensions. Uh, isn't, but isn't it terrible? <laughs> that can be difficult sometimes. And you just it got think, in away a couple of times mm, for her, but, I thought, I but she never let it interfere with no. her. And then Richard Fleshman was playing um, the, the lead guy, Pat, the sort of suave, debonair ladies' man who falls for this country girl. And he, he was just great, completely great. He, he has moved on so far from his initial tentative time in Ghost. And I saw him in Guys and Dolls on tour and he was great. And he was really great in this too. I remember you saying Smooth that, that touring production was better than the one that was in yeah, town. Yeah, it was yeah. way better, way better. I mean, I would have gone and seen this concert version again and again if it had been on for longer than one performance. Mm. It was really... You could just... <clears throat> lose yourself entirely in the orchestral Was the orchestral there a good, good size audience? Yeah, it was pretty full. Yeah. Cadogan Hall on a Sunday night. It mm. was it was good. But we really people are starved to hear musical theatre backed by an orchestra in the way it was intended to be mm. played. Not with two pianos or a synthesizer and someone you know, whatever. waving their hands whatever and it is. playing a keyboard. But to have that proper section of strings, I think I said in the musical, strings make up the musical. And I really, I truly believe that. And you gave it four stars? I, yes, it was lovely. It was really lovely. And I look forward greatly to the next adventure and I hope that it will be as musically interesting as this. I'm not a girl for sentimental tripe. I never go for the Romeo type. Over a dewy-eyed Juliet No one has seen me to rule yet I don't say our hearts are tied By love's eternal tether 
but using words less dignified. Isn't it kind of fun to be together? Maybe you'll never be the love of my life. Maybe I'm not the girl of your dreams. But isn't it kind of fun to look in each other's eyes, swapping romantic gleams? Maybe I'm not a girl to have and to hold. Well, maybe I'm not a boy who would stay. But isn't it kind of fun carousing around the town, dancing the night away? Oh, isn't it kind of fun holding hands according to a sweet and corny custom? Isn't it kind of fun making vows? Well, that's a bit of fun, and that's from the movie soundtrack. That's right, yes. Mm. And I have to say that the orchestrations and the way the orchestra played it made that music, which sounds a bit hokey and old-fashioned, feel alive. very alive yeah. and very exciting. It was tremendous. I realised that I owe Tom Sutherland a little apology, a bit of a mea culpa. I think you must apologise right now. You what about? what for. <laughs> very stentorian, your mm. suggestion. Well, a podcast or two or three ago, we were talking about... Um, sideshow coming and I said that it was going to be directed by Tom Sutherland and we talked about how busy he was and blah 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 and of course what I was thinking was side was state fair and what I was saying it was, was sideshow side mm. so yes it was a moment of the no connection between the brain the lips mm. he was not directing it's what happens sideshow. when you take a lot of because intravenous drugs I, I beg your pardon <laughs> please don't project upon other people how dare you anyway the top three shows to look out for at the shrinked. moment. Mm-hmm. And excitingly, all of these shows revolve around women. So it's very exciting this, this time of the year. Um, Mary Stewart coming up at the Almeida, which is the wonderful Schiller play. Looking forward to that very much. Juliet Stevenson returning to the stage with Leah Williams. Love Should her. be marvellous. We do love, mm-hmm. well, love both of them. I think they're both great. And then Dream Girls, which has been a long time I'm coming. Very excited about a that. long time coming to the West End. A little bit of a little bit of excitement girls. in your eyes then. <laughs> great score. Yeah, it's a great score. Mm. Um, and it hasn't been done here for. I don't think it's been done here ever. Ever. I think this okay. is the this is the premiere. I think mm. I could be wrong, but um, certainly wouldn't not it the West be fantastic End, if it was really a well, great production? I'm really well, well. Let's hope it is a great mm. production. Um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. And then Hedda Gabler at the National. Another incredible vehicle for a great actress, so we'll see what happens. But mm. three great shows Mary Stewart, Dream Girls, and Hedda Gabler all coming in the next couple of weeks. Mm. And so we're at your least favourite time of the podcast every week. Why? The secret song. <laughs> Why? So let's say see that? what it is now. Mm. It's been hard, also very sweet. And I'm not usually indiscreet But when he sparkles The earth begins to sway What more can I say? How can I express 
breakfast. I cannot tie my shoe. What more can I do? If I say I love him, you might think my words come cheap. Let's just say I'm glad he's mine. Awake, asleep. It's been hot, also it's been swell. More than not, it's been more than words can tell. I halt, I stammer, I sing a rondelay. What more can I say? I'll stay calm untie my tongue and try to stay both kind and young I was taught never brag or shout still it's hot just like how you read about and all so caring and never to one that's the simple truth Well, thank you very much. It's been a delight. Did you know that song? No, I didn't. Mm. It's in my mind because, of course, I've just seen it on Broadway in the revival there. And Christian Ball sang that song. Beautiful song. That's not the best recording of it, I don't think. But no. it's a lovely song. Um, and a very good revival on Broadway. See, so you threw me when you said Falsetto Land. Ah, yes. It's the original original, not the second original, when they put Falsetto Land and marched the falsettos together mm. to create falsettos mm. and a little bit of In Trousers which was the first one there were three three musicals that William Penn wrote that became in the end falsettos mm. but anyway there we go lovely well it's it's good night from you and it's good night from you mm. oh, we did that twice <laughs> the music that we featured in this episode of the podcast is the title song from Lazarus by David Bowie that Michael C. Hall performed on CBS's Stephen Colbert show and Dirty Boys is also from the same show with the cast recording released on RCA. Comedy Tonight is from A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum by Stephen Sondheim, released on EMI Records. It's the original London cast recording. 
We featured the Benny Hill theme song from the TV show presented by Thames Television. It's a grand night for singing and Isn't It Kind of Fun is from the 1962 movie soundtrack recording of State Fair done by 20th Century Fox. What More Can I Say is from Falsetto Land, original cast recording with music and lyrics by William Finn on DRG.